Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and thank you once again, as always, for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. If you want to help the podcast grow and keep getting into the ears of as many people as we can get it into, jump over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. That is the best way, I am told. So if you want to do us a a massive favour, jump over there, subscribe, and share the podcast. Tell someone about the My Love of Golf podcast because I'd really appreciate it. This week's interview is with a very good friend of the podcast. Yes, it's the Real Life Caddy podcast team. Well, one of the team. It's Gordon from the Real Life Caddy podcast and also the man behind Glorified Donkey. You may have come across Glorified Donkey on YouTube and you may have come across the Real Life Caddy podcast. Yes, it is a podcast about real life caddies. Both the guys, Neil and Gordon, are caddies over at Pebble Beach and they've got some wonderful stories. You could imagine the sorts of people that they're caddying for, the sorts of experiences they've had. Well, Gordon has also caddied on tour and has got some real cracking stories from over there and a couple of those we touch on today. But I thought as friends of the podcast, Gordon would jump on, tell us about his background, tell us about the podcast, tell us about what he's up to with Glorified Donkey and some of the stories that he has from the world of caddying, which I find fascinating. It's a great podcast. I find it very entertaining, very funny. They've got some great segments. You know, Bell End of the Week is a cracker. Caddy Confessionals, always a good laugh. I just like what they do. And when I like something, I want to learn more about it and I want to bring them to you. So that's what we've done. We might talk to uh, Gordon more often and I might talk to him at some stage, but I love the fact that he's reached out and we've kept in contact and, you know, we're looking forward to supporting each other. One thing I do like about their podcast is they've got their own song. I love someone who has their own song. So I'm going to play a little bit to you, go into our theme tune, and then go straight into the interview. from the Glorified Donkey and the Real Life Caddy Podcast. How are you? Thanks for joining us on the My Love of Golf Podcast, mate. You well? Hi, Ross. Uh, lovely to talk to you, mate. I am very well. I am very well. I'm outside here and a little bit of cloud, but yeah, very, very good. Well, when you say outside there and, and I can see you because uh, we're doing this uh, via Zoom, um, mm-hmm. where, where is outside for you at the moment? Where, where, where do we find you? I can, I can hear your so, Scottish accent, but you're not in Scotland. I know that much. No, no, no. I, one of the smart guys had to get out. I was actually thrown out of Scotland for being too positive, um, <laughs> far too optimistic. So I was thrown out about six, seven years ago, but I, I live in Monterey uh, because primarily for the last five, six years, I've been caddying at Pebble, which is about a stone throw. Caddying at Pebble? Mm-hmm. Pebble oh, Beach. Yeah, absolutely. So out of Scotland for six years, caddying at Pebble for uh, most of that time, you must have had some great experiences, which we'll, we'll get into talking about. But first, yeah. I guess, you know, tell us tell us about what, you, what you're up to you know, with the Real Life Caddy Podcast and, and the Glorified Donkey. It's, it's a site that I find myself uh, looking at. There's some great YouTube content on there. I'm obviously, a massive fan of your podcast, and we've been talking about that for a while. So a couple of great two initiatives. T- take us through uh, what they are for you. So Glorified Donkey is a look at golf from a caddy's perspective. So I grew up in the southwest of Scotland at Turnberry, and I started 
playing golf there when I was about uh, probably 10, 1992. And I started caddying when I was in 95. So I'm a lifer caddy. And I wanted to monetize and give a different viewpoint on golf via caddying. So I've done that. I feel we're certainly on, on the way. GlorifiedDonkey.com is a brand new website, actually. And it's the ground zero of everything we're doing. We have a podcast. It's called The Real Life Caddy Podcast. And we have a YouTube video, or a YouTube channel, sorry. That's Glorified Donkey. Uh, we have all of the social media bits and pieces. Uh, we have an online store. And it's really just trying to put a bit of fun, entertainment, but at the same time, educate people. So about golf and caddying. So with golf and caddying, you know, caddying at Pebble Beach, you must see some people, you must see, have a lot of different experiences. And I think one of the things that I love hearing is, and is the way that you derive a lot of content from those experiences. Um, you know, take us right back to the, the start of your caddying journey. You know, when did, when did you, you know, first caddy and, and when did you realise that, you know, this was going to be, you know, you said a lifer, you're a lifer caddy. When did you realise that you were going to be a lifer caddy? Probably about a year ago. Right. <laughs> so, I would no, it's, it's, I started on April 24th, 1995. I remember my first ever loop. And up until that point, I had been washing cars and making about three pounds for washing. I did it with my older brother and I went caddying and I was just, cause I was really tall. I still, I'm probably the same height as I was at 13 or 14. And the caddy master was mobbed and he said, he asked my dad, he said, listen, can your boys, my older brother was the same, same kind of height. He says, are, are they interested in working? Cause they didn't have enough caddies. We said, sure. Cause we'd wanted to do it. Cause we'd seen the other, other young guys, maybe the 15, 16 year olds with new golf clubs. And it all came from caddy money. It all came from the American dollar. So we agreed to caddy that afternoon and I get paid 20, I paid 20 pounds. It was six cars worth of washing. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was the happiest guy in, the, in, in Maybowl, where I'm from. I uh, get in my dad's car and I had, you know, a big smile on my face. And I said, oh, my dad said, oh, you, how'd you get on? I said, oh, I, I pulled out the £20 note, which you'll know, the big you know, yeah. purple note. And he says, that's not too bad. And uh, my brother was sitting in the back seat of the car and I said, how'd you do? And he had a, a wry smile on his face. He's two years older. He said, oh, I made 40 and I, I I felt violated. I'd never been so happy. And then that ha well, you 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 know all about Scottish people. You, it's very hard to keep us happy. So I was happy for about six seconds, you know. Um, but I, it was it became infectious. So at that young age of walking on a golf course, meeting so many people with so many different advice, life stories, and the cash in hand. Obviously, that the money was great. You could pick your own schedule, and nothing's really changed since then. Um, when I was at, at uni, we used to come to America, we used to come to Pebble. My brothers and myself, and we'd spend sort of four months in the summer caddying. The money over here was obviously much better because you're most of the time double bagging. And the weather was so much better because we, we just get sick of the, the really poor weather in Scotland, the poor summers. So it kind of went from there. Then I, then I had a little stint. I, I tried doing my own thing. I, 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 once you caddy for a long time, you become... You ever, you ever seen the Shawshank Redemption? Mm, a long time ago, but yeah. Right, one of the best films ever made. There's a, there's a scene, there's a guy that has a crow. His name's Brooks. He's, he hangs himself. Brooks was here, remember that? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't he couldn't handle life on the outside. And they said he's been institutionalised. And I feel as if if you do caddying for more than 10 years, 
you're kind of institutionalized. You're going to find it very hard to go into the normal world and get a proper job. So I think because you're not used to people telling you what to do, turning up on time in uniform, working without a hangover or with one, you can't do that in an office. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think it really came from there. And I tried to do my own my own sort of business a couple of times. I did have a, a proper job for a while. My older boss was my older brother was my boss for a while. And that worked because you could, you know, I didn't mind him asking me what I was up to or, you know, questioning what I was I was doing. But uh, I tried a little bit of carrying and tour as well. And then I'm married to an American. So I actually met my wife when I was in California. I took her to Scotland for a few years. And then I just had enough of the, 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 the poor weather again. So we moved back out here in 2014. So it's, it's, it is, there's so many great aspects of caddying, and especially caddying here. The, the 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 wealth is incredible. Of not that I'm impressed by wealth, but you, the different levels of it, and it leads you to so much advice. So what I'm doing, for example, there's a lot of people I would have I would speak to on a regular basis who are way above my pay grade, but they give you little pieces of of very valuable information and advice and support. Actually, do you ever get to maintain a relationship with any of uh, the people that you end up caddying for? You know, do, do you retain them as clients, or is, is that how it works for you? You know, you have a group of people that you know, rely on you and can come back to you sort of when they come back to Pebble and, and the Pebble area. I would say scores of people. My yeah. phone is full of golfers that. I don't like to call them clients myself yeah. and producer Mike, who's right to my, my right hand side. He's in the, the workshop with me today. And we Neil. a lot of caddies like to, to call their regulars clients. And yeah. I'm sorry. A, a lawyer has clients. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even, even, a even hookers have clients, <laughs> but caddies do not have clients. I'm sorry. We have regulars because here's the thing. If, if you, if, if you have a lawyer, right, if you're a client of the lawyer and the lawyer can't make it, right, or you, you say, I want to meet at two o'clock, and he says, no, uh, I can't make it. Well, you're going to rearrange. If one of my regulars said, are you going to be there Monday the 12th of September at nine o'clock? And I said, no, he'd say, well, find me someone that can be there. So, but I, I, I we have tons of, it's, it's one of these things I'm always arguing with these guys. They like to think that caddying is a proper job, but uh, it really isn't. The, going back to your question about the, the people you stay in contact with, loads and loads and loads of people. We have, uh, I could go and play golf at almost any state in America, apart from, I think, Nebraska and Wyoming. I don't know people in those two states. I've been up to Alaska playing golf, anywhere in Southern California, all up the East Coast. And and people that, it's incredible how, and I don't know if, I would say this is the same all over the place. I find golfers, it's kind of a brethren, mm-hmm. where people literally will invite you into their house if they've only known you for four or five hours. You know me as an Australian and also as a, Scott, fiscally, uh, you know, I'm probably the least likely candidate to want to pay for a caddy. And, yes. Uh, and I think you've got a nice joke about, uh, did you hear, what, what was the joke that we, when we spoke last time, the Australian who invented a, a copper wire? Oh, how, how was copper weird, Copper wire discovered? How, two, uh, two Australians going for the same penny. Uh, that's right. So um, I, I, I have very few uh, caddy stories. You know, I'm my, my only caddy story is, uh, and it was an interesting one, and it was really the first time I'd played at a course where caddies were sort of part of the, you know, the, the, the thing to do. And I was at La Hinch. They set up. And, um, and I was a reciprocal member of La Hinch, so I was playing there for free. It was great, wonderful. Um, I was doing it on the cheap, so I'll just get my tea time and off I go. 
and obviously two, two I was playing with in a three ball three yeah there was a four ball so mm. there was three other American yeah threesome foursome with three American guys foursome uh, and they had four that's what we call it that's what you call it in golf that's right thank you very much um <laughs> uh, I was just trying to say there was three guys from America and myself from Australia no caddy Aussie no caddy and then the three American guys with one caddy so he was triple bagging and I, I was blown away by this whole triple bagging um, scenario. So one bag, two bags on carts, and then one on his shoulder. And wow, yeah, and it was a lovely fella. Um, we had a great connection because his wife uh, was from Australia, so we had, and I knew where she was from. I sort of grew up in in a similar area, so we had all this chat about that. And I got into the round, and I wasn't after an, after any advice. I wasn't doing any of that, but I definitely got a sense at some point in the round there. The guys who were paying him were getting annoyed that I was chatting to him, and I was only—I was only chatting to him. I was, as I said, I wasn't asking for advice. But what was happening is, he was—he would then sort of say, "Well, you know, your ball's over there, mate, and it's—it's one fifty from there. Away you go. Don't—don't don't hit it to the left." So he was giving me that. I didn't ask for it. He was giving it to me, and I got the sense that they were getting a little bit, uh, bit upset with that. So, is that—is that something that you know? How does that story resonate with you? Over here, it's, it's slightly different because you'll you'll book your caddy in advance. I I don't really care. The, the, you'll get a lot of people looking for free information. The, the worst is when someone is taking free information. Well, he'll just start asking you stuff. Mm. You start reading their parts, and then they start giving you a hard time and saying it, it was it was wrong. Uh, in in general, there'll be some caddies who will ask, say to the players that are actually paying them, say, "Hey, listen, is it okay if I help the other people?" Mm. Which you know, fifty-fifty. Some people say yes. Some people say people say no. As a caddy, sometimes it, it can help the pace of play. Mm. You know, so if if I if I was with, if there was a single in my group, I would just help them. I don't care. You know, for an extra twenty or forty, I really don't care. You know, I would always look at it as I personally could slip them a card for, to listen to the Real Life Caddy podcast. So that would be. I've always got a, you know always, always got, selling. Always so, got an angle here. I always got an angle. Always working an angle. But I think. If the caddy's offering that advice, fine. Yeah. As long as he's doing it in the right way. But the caddy shouldn't be looking to give that free advice, looking for money. If he's, if you ask him, sure, you know, you should then throw him some grease at the end. If the caddy starts just giving it to you, well, fine. Yeah. No, be, it's, um, so yeah, there's, I don't think there's a rule of thumb about it, but some some guys will get very nancy about that not happy i think uh yeah if there's one thing that i do regret and i will go back and uh, till the hinch one day and whether i see him or not that's another thing but i do regret not giving him some uh, some grease for the kindness uh that he extended to me and at the time it was all a bit new for me so i didn't really get the whole concept of it and it's really been since then that i've sort of you know learned about it and you know started following your journey and all of that sort of thing and, and become mm-hmm. interested in that world so i get how it works um uh, now what the other caddy story that i've gotten and this might you might find this appealing so playing at St Andrews for the first time and there was a young trainee pro from just down the road from here at a place called Mornington uh, decided to you know go on his adventure much similar to yourself and he went to Scotland and he found himself caddying at the old course as part of the old course rotation and when I was visiting family once he said look we've got a dark time come up and play at four o'clock we're off on the old course fantastic we're playing with another mate of mine who's a caddy we went at, we were booked in as a three i get up to the old course and there's all these beautiful american uh, girls standing there with their golf gear uh, they're from mm-hmm. texas texas a&m college so they're the texas a&m college golf team mm-hmm. so i'm waiting for my time and i'm 
looking at the, you know, talking to the girls and saying, what are you guys doing here? We're on a golf trip. Uh, why aren't you playing? Oh, we're not booked in. And I didn't really understand the old course sort of structure back then. I said, well, why can't you go in that three? And so oh, they're members. They won't, let it, they won't let us go with them. Oh, right. I said, well, we've got a spot. One of you can come with us. Fantastic. So one came with us. And anyway, what happened? The, most of the girls got a game. We're out there with uh, playing with one of the girls from the, the team. We're playing for five quid. She takes our money. But then all the guys who are caddying were sort of looking about the whole structure, seeing their mates ca- who are caddies playing with me. What's going on here? Next thing you know, we go for a drink after uh, after the round where the girls were staying at the Dunvegan because that's where you go mm-hmm. for a drink after mm-hmm. – after, and it was like a disco. It was like – it was a Monday night and it was like every caddy in St Andrews was there. <laughs> <laughs> it, you can yeah. ima- can you imagine that type type of environment? Yeah, I've been there several times. So but, I might have been there that night. Who knows? So, but it was just like the little the, the you know the little uh, messages went out. Oh, where where who are all these guys? Oh, they're staying at the Dunvegan. Yeah. Oh, we better we better hang out there tonight. And every caddy in St Andrews, it was actually a hoot a hoot of a night. Um, you know, a lot of fun. You know, you can hear. Imagine the band. Imagine the stories. Imagine the the jockling for position amongst to you know try and get the attention of you know the young Texas A&M uh, ladies who are fine and fantastic ambassadors for their college and also for the game I might add yeah I, I when you were telling that story I, I had nothing to do with the, the, the caddies or you or whatever just sniff 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 you know it was caddies and heat <laughs> yeah right yeah there you go um well and you know, in seeing all that group of caddies there, you know, in the one room, you know, it reminded me, what reminded me of that was when you talked about, you know, the, the journey of caddying and, and the type of, uh, you know, if there's a stereotype, I don't know, but, you know, it's such a wide range of personalities and people, you know, like there were some guys there that were like, must have been 65, they were the, you know, the 21 year olds from, from Melbourne, Australia, and a whole wide range of people. And it, and it seems that they come you know, it's like going to the snow and, and putting people on lifts. You know, they come, it's seasonal and they come every year and they've been doing it for 10, 10 years, coming back and doing a season at St Andrews. Does does that happen at Pebble? You, you've got seasonal people? No, all, all year round. All year round. There'll, there'll, there'll be, a, there'll be a, a couple of dozen that would maybe go to Florida. I, I would say that 20 years ago, it'd be half and half. But I think Caddy's blown up over the last 25 years. Because mm. I, I started in 95. What happened in 95 was the dollar was really strong. So the what Pebble Beach wasn't the same. It was it had different ownership and it wasn't sort of commercialized the same way as it is today. Bandon Dooms didn't exist up in Oregon. Whistling Straits didn't exist over in Wisconsin. So these resorts that now take a lot of the corporate business or Americans that just want it five days. Would you rather, if you were in New York, would you rather go up to Wisconsin? for five days of golf or fly to Scotland for five days and have jet lag, et cetera, deal with that. And that's the dollar was very strong. As I say, in the nineties, you didn't have these great resorts that you have in America today. So the market was flooded when I grew up, the the, nineties was absolutely slammed. And it it was always the same guys. It was seasonal because of the weather in Scotland, because you can't, Normally, say, yeah. you would kick off around about the 1st of April until the end of October. That's when the, the season would be. Stereotypes, 100%. It was always the same faces. And then what happened would be a lot of guys who had normal jobs and they'd, they'd maybe work shifts and you'd see a lot of those guys that would come out after work for what they called beer money. Yeah. I remember one of the, actually, 
this wee guy called Jimmy Fleming. He just he actually died about three months ago. Unfortunately, his nickname was Digger, and my, my dad used to play football with him. But Digger was an electrician at Turnbury Hotel, and he used to finish his shift at two o'clock, and he would always come out with us and take the last loop of the day because he was a carry master at the time. I became very friendly with him, and he didn't make you sit and wait. He'd say, "Go and play golf and just cover the last group of the day." Uh, and I, we'd always end up working in and about with Jimmy. But Jimmy, after his shift, he would say, he'd either finish at two or three, but say he'd 40 minutes before his loop. He'd drive down to Maidens, which is about a mile away, to a bar called the Barley Bree, and he would drink four or five pints, <laughs> and then he'd come back, and he, I'll, I'll have this vision of him walking down the car park, chewing a packet of chewing gum just as... Mm. All right, lads, how's it going? And he was he was flying for the first six holes and huge amounts, copious amounts of drink. You know, carrying it in, in, in Scotland is so different from anywhere else, as I'm sure you can imagine. It, uh, it's the Wild West. There were really no rules. You know, there were no rules and regulations. Uh, over here now, it's a very sanitised type of caddying, you know, uniform, filling a schedule. There's a lot of caddy companies that yeah. are out there. And they'll they'll try and manage you, which is is kind of like herding cats, <laughs> very very hard. And every state's different. You, you'll tend to find the southern states, so South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida. They, those guys are, are winter seasonal guys. They'll be there for six months in the winter, and then when it's too hot, if anyone's ever been to Florida in the, in July, you don't want to be there. That's there'll be very few locals that might stay in caddy. Uh, then in the in the summer they might come out to say like California up to Oregon, uh, certain places in Arizona. So uh, you will get some seasonal guys. A lot of, again back in Scotland there would be grandfathers, you know, fathers, sons, up to three three four generations all caddying. So it's like a trade. Uh, it's like a family trade. It, it was a family trade exactly, um, and. I, I can I miss I miss caddying in Scotland to be honest because we'd we'd all do singles so you'd always have four caddies in a group so the the patter as we call it would be so much better because mm. over here especially with COVID right now we can't carry golf bags or we're not carrying golf bags so we're only really doing four caddies and so there's not this is not the same camaraderie I don't feel just explain the co- the the concept of you know you hear this. Um you know, four caddy. What's a what is the different type of caddy structures that you have? You know, you know, I told you about the the guy in in uh, at La Hinch that was one caddy. You know, toting three bags. Um, mm-hmm. What can you get as a as a caddy? You know, can you have one between two? Can you have two between four? Can you have three between four or whatever? Yes, you can. Singles. Uh-huh. One caddy, one player. Yep. You could have one single. Guy carries one bag and then he just gives advice to the other three. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of double dipping. You'll have what I do the majority of the time is to, is it doubles. So I would carry two bags or work off a cart. That's the beauty about America as well. Everywhere has a cart path, so you'll throw the bags on a cart, so you don't even have to carry the bags. Uh, so, but that's a double, and then you can have a four caddy for two, three, four players. And uh, I'm I'm probably the worst person to ask about four caddies because I am the worst. Four caddying would suggest that you run front, yeah. And I I, I don't like being in my own because uh, I I enjoy talking to players, and uh, so I'll step sit back in the tee. 
And ultimately, you're helping everybody out there, yardages, lines off tees, uh, lines on the greens. Yep. You wouldn't really touch a bunker because you just don't have a time because you're working for four people you're hustling um so but the majority of the time caddies will do will do doubles a lot of members courses because the they'll, they'll only do four caddies because they know the course inside out and they don't really need someone to carry the bag they'll maybe take carts so, so every, f- every course is very different it's it's, it's, uh, it's quite strange so a four caddy is someone who is with attached to the group but they're off in front they're at like a ball, they'll a ball. often be off the tee. They'll be up in front, or they'll be up by the green. Ball, uh, like as a, I say, I, that's not my style. No ball, chance. Like a ball spotter, like spotting balls. Exactly. I, yes, spot on there, Ross. Well, that's that's it. They should probably just call it that—a ball spotter. Yeah, right. I tell you what, some of the caddies I've been across—they're they're so bad at the job. They they should just be called a a ball spotter. And half <laughs> the time they're blind. Yeah. Not watching. You can't spot anything. Where'd that one go? I was actually once walking down the 16th fairway, right? So at Pebble, it's a par four. And you you go down the right-hand side. I think the other caddy was drunk. Uh, he certainly <laughs> wasn't interested in the job. But we go out there and he was just talking to me. I, 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 can, I can talk, but I can also watch. I know what's going on. And his player comes down and says, Hey, hey uh, Andy, he says, where'd mine go? And, he, and he, the caddy turned to him and said, That's a really good question. He says, did you go left or right? <laughs> he said, I went down the right. He says, let's look up the right then. <laughs> and you just, can you imagine? I, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, I've seen some really embarrassing stuff out there. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you see a bit of everything uh, at everything. Pebble. At Pebble. Now, back to the podcast for a sec. You know, it's a, I find it a very enjoyable podcast and I, I've learnt quite a bit listening to it. You know, I'm part of three podcasts now, which you, you may or may not know. I've got the- I do, yeah. Yeah the golf rules questions one, which is a new one. And, and we've tried to incorporate a few uh, segments into that. And you're great with having segments on your podcast. One of the segments that I enjoy listening to is caddy tales. Caddy tales. Caddy stories, yes. Caddy stories, yeah. sorry. So what are what are some of the, you know, regale us with some of those great caddy stories of, of late from some of your colleagues, Wee Neil, your, your partner in crime there that, you know, you just shake, you walk off and shake your head at. So caddy stories, we always start our podcast off where what happened in the past week. And that could be us playing golf. It could be just in general life. However, they're, they're day-to-day stories. So it could just be the recurring themes because the same stuff happens over and over again. You might be caddying for some difficult people. Someone knows the golf course better than you do on their first time there. Uh, or you could, how about, getting tipped when you know when you you, you work your ass off and uh, you get stiffed because that's really the only reason we're doing it uh, we could be talking about how bad the golf is and we see a lot of bad golf uh, people that want to play the tips they, they won't they won't play the uh, the correct tees for their, their ability uh, what they bring in their golf bag you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that we've found in people's golf bags uh, their their antics around the green, how they copy pros. We actually just did a, a podcast yesterday about golf etiquette, and it was it said, hey, "I'm not a pro, but I act like one." Right, and it's 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 funny. You'll see certain things on a Sunday. Say Justin Rose. See you see if you see if Justin Rose started putting with his underpants around his ankles on a Sunday. I guarantee, on a Monday, we'd probably see half a dozen people doing that. <laughs> Right, you know, they, just the, the 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 things that the the copy, the ridiculous you know, things people will say, the the, the non listening, um, you know, it, it just it's the same stuff over and over again, and it's quite enjoyable. 
I, I get a kick out of it. You know, when you're going to get a proper job? How long are you doing this for? Because uh, there is a, a there is a, a, a conception that uh, a preconception that you you caddy because you you don't have a brain cell uh, or you have nothing else to do. You know, and uh, it's not always the case. You know, it's a, it's a, as I say, it's a huge difference in America. To you have you know former firefighters or police work officers that are retired and they they do they use caddying as a as a as a form of income. Mm. Uh, you'll have students that do it at St Andrews. You would have a lot of students. St, uh, St Andrews, Kings Barnes, Carnoustie. You would have a lot of students that will do it in the summer. It's not just your your local. Uh, degenerates, I would maybe say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that struck me strikes me is you know the way that people seem to blame the caddy for their bad shots. Oh, like, brilliant! Aye. Like, no I listen listen to some of the stuff that you talk about, and how how could someone blame you for you know thinning a seven iron one seventy over the back of the green, and then give in turning to and giving the shake of the head, going, "What was what was that?" <laughs> like, yeah, it's the so again, if you look at the professional game you'll see when a pro misses a putt, right? And it, it obviously goes the opposite way to what he thought it, it was going to go. He'll turn and look. He looks he either looks off into space or he's looking at his caddy. Or he'll start tapping down in the grass and hit a spike. Oh, I hit a, there's always someone to blame. Or they, do you notice that when when there were crowds, it's they only ever look at the crowd when when they hit a bad shot. They never look at them when they have a, a good shot. So the, mm. you always have to look for someone to blame. Having a caddy is another excuse to... to have, and it's an easy out. And we had a guy not long ago, we called him Bob, but his name was actually... No, we called him Barry, but his name was actually Bob. Total bell end. Everything was everyone else's fault. Uh, he absolutely hated me with a passion. The last five holes were miserable. And he actually apologized to me in the 18th hole and he said, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I just, uh, I can't take someone's advice. And the following day, Neil, there was no way I was going to work for him because there was nothing I could, I either didn't give him enough information or it was too much information or it wasn't enough club or I sh- it was incredible just how many things I was doing wrong for this guy. So the following day, Neil got him. And Neil can pretty much work with anyone. Which I can pretty much work with anyone as well, 99.9% of people. But Neil gets them. Neil mentions to him that on a par five, it's 140 yards to the water. But the guy's got a three wood in his hand and he hooks it into the water. And then he blames Neil and says, if you hadn't mentioned the water, I wouldn't have hit it there. Producer Mike, he ended up stupidly reading the putt for, for Bob on the 18th green. And it was at Spyglass. It's a really fast putt downhill. You literally, if it's a 10-foot putt, you hit it 10%. And he asked Mike, Bob asked Mike, is this downhill? And Mike said, stupid fast. It's like putting in ice. Of course, that would suggest that you just tap it. Wouldn't you think, Ross? No? Probably in my experience as a golfer, yeah. Yeah, well, he, he, he hit this, Bob hits it halfway and he actually goes off the off the green. And he turns to and chews Mike out. So just a very angry man that obviously blames everyone for everything. And I think that's you, you, you can sum someone up how they act in the golf course for sure. That's uh, They probably go through their, their life. You feel sorry for their wife and kids, uh, co-workers, whatever it is. Uh, luckily for us, we only have to put up with it for, for the, the duration of a, a, around the golf. Have you ever had to uh, sack someone off or have you ever been sacked yes. off? Yeah, right? I have been sacked... 
Exclu- excluding excluding your tour stories, so we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, just as in in your normal, you know, paid environment there. Yes, I, I, the first the first time I got sacked was a woman <laughs> called Doreen Green who had uh, gone through uh, gone through quite a number of caddies at Turnbury. I was very young, thirteen or fourteen, and she wasn't impressed with how I carried the bag. So that was uh, still I'm still wondering what I did wrong there. But it was the way I carried the bag wasn't good or something. I haven't recovered uh, from that. O- over here. Mm, yeah, there was once I got retired. One, one, one guy that just uh, Jerry. His name was Jerry. Asked for me the the following year. Is that how he well. said it? Yeah, I'm gonna retire you. I'm- yeah, he called. So what? What? Another difference over here in America is like so in Scotland <laughs> and Ireland, the caddy master is is God. He's the boss. Yeah. If you if you're smoking a fag and you throw it throw the fag butt in the ground, right? He'll say pick it up. Right? Okay, you're not working today, or you're working at the back of the bus. You see, so it's it's really good that way. Over here, because we have our regulars, or as as some of the boys like to say, their clients, these regulars might come in with a group of up, say, 40 players or 16 players, 12, and they'll say, all right, Big G, there's 12 players. We need two caddies per group. You, You bring good guys. So I then call five of my mates, good caddies, and bring them along. So... On this occasion that I was retired, I had decided after four holes, myself and the other caddy in the group, that we would not be returning on the Saturday. And we text our pal Matt, who was organising the caddies for that group, listen, mate, there's no chance we're doing this. And after the round, Jerry called Matt and said, oh, hey, Matt, listen, I think we're going to retire Brian and Big G. And Matt said, sorry, Jerry, you, they sacked you already. They beat you to it. So... That that was that was certainly one time, and I'll I'll tell you. Last week, I sacked some people. There were two couples, uh, kind of referral. I was caring for two guys called Gary and their wives. And I've I've got to be honest with you, Ross. I am not a big fan of caddying for couples. Uh, very often, if if the ladies can hang, and and the I don't care about the quality of the golf. Let's lay that down. It doesn't matter how how bad you are at golf. I don't care, but you'll tend to find that the husbands are very over over um, bearing, uh, giving lessons out there, getting frustrated. The lady wants to pick the ball up because she's had thirteen swipes at it, and he says, "Keep going, keep going." She says, "No, no, no, no," and it's like, "Listen, mate, just she doesn't want to play the rest of the hole. Let it go." Uh, but I had two couples last week, and the, both guys were called Gary. And the the, the 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 short guy, Wee Gary, it was Big Gary and Wee Gary. And it's maybe because I called him Wee Gary on the first tee of the first day that he, you know, I'm not short, so I don't know what it's like being short, but I called him Wee Gary. And his wife looked like fun, I'll say blonde. Big, we'll call her Big Blonde, right? Really, and from Florida. I thought these people are going to be fun. And it was torture. And he, I could again with him. It was all my kind of fault. He uh, he then started reading his own putts uh, on the last couple of holes of day two. And I text the big big Gary that I kind of knew. I said, Gary, I was playing golf this afternoon. I twisted my knee. I, I can't come tomorrow because yeah. I, I didn't want to say, listen, yeah. we Gary's a bell end, so I'm not coming. There's no point in, in causing that sort of grief. I just said, no, I can't make it. So I sacked them. And uh, there's been a number of jobs that I just haven't gone the following day. But sometimes it was this, actually also Ross, uh, you know, money talks. Mm. So I have I have endured, you know, certain people for an extra day or two because they threw down plenty of grease. 
So, you know, money talks. Well, let's let's talk about uh, some of those other caddying experiences of yours. And you've got a few, you know, you, you did work on the European tour for a number of years uh, and you have, you have caddied for, for the, uh, the you know, what is, what is, what is he, what is he called? The president in chief, the colonel in chief, the commander in chief. So, yeah. Yeah. So a couple of years on the tour, uh, it was uh, highly unsuccessful, uh, made very many mistakes uh, from when you're rule number one of, as being a caddy, when you're offered a better job, always take it you see because there are no contracts there's nothing written in stone and as soon the the, the professional players literally think that by changing their caddy will all of a sudden they'll start making cuts and it's not really the case i know a guy actually my mate caddied for ross drummond he won the the bmw championship at Wentworth about 20 something years ago so he still gets in it it's a lifetime playing privilege and it could because on the European tour you have all the all the different opens but the BMW which is this week is actually mm. the big the big tournament you know it's the flagship so Ross Drummond won it he my mate then started working for him a couple of years later they missed 26 cuts in a row right think about that that's 26 weekends in Madeira and Paris and Munich and a lot of you know Austria or all these Sweden all these different places and about he started getting hit in a bit of form and he made three cuts in a row and then he sacked my mate that's shocking isn't it that's bad that really is bad so I made, I made plenty of mistakes but you were talking about I did I used to caddy for Trump up uh, he built a course in Aberdeen so the last three years that I lived in Scotland I lived in the northeast so if, if no one if any listeners are not familiar with what Scotland looks like I'm from the the, the, the south west and Aberdeen is in the northeast and about seven maybe t- 10 years ago Trump started buying some land close to Aberdeen because apparently his family's from there um it's never been verified but he built a, a really nice golf course in the dunes uh just just north of Aberdeen and I contacted the course just to say hey listen I'm in a local area I got loads of experience and I ended up getting paired with him whenever he came into town so he was uh he was an interesting guy in that he uh he, he was a germaphobe didn't never shook anyone's hand uh played incredibly fast had his own set of rules, which I liked because he everything was anything over 10, 10 feet was a sweep. Good, good, good. Let's go. And he played in two and a half hours, and tipped really well. So I, I you know, I can't really fault that uh, from my point of view. So uh, very interesting. But I remember we we played with Colin Montgomery one time, and Monty had an eagle putt on the first hole. It was about fifteen feet. And Trump walked up and says, and just hit it back to him. Montgomery was lining it up from about ten feet behind the hole. Trump just walked up and hit it to him and said, "That's good, good three. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Montgomery probably shot like fifty-two that day. Was uh, was Donald uh, the the club champion at uh, Trump uh, Trump Aberdeen? He's a club champion everywhere. Ah, well, <laughs> everywhere, everywhere he's played and where he's not played. I, I read I read something actually. He was there was a couple of places that of his courses that he'd won the club championship, but he never played. 
<laughs> so it was like Tiger Woods. I remember when Starwood bought Turnberry 20 years ago and the Ailsa course was in Tiger. Tiger Woods was, was, uh, that was getting sponsored by Starwood Hotels. And in Tiger's top five golf courses appeared the Ailsa course, Turnberry. He'd never been there. So, you know. <laughs> Money talks. Um, Money does talk, yeah. Now, if you go to the Glorified Donkey website, you might be able to buy a, um, a bit of merchandise that is reflective of what we were just talking about, <laughs> Mr. Trump being the club champion. You do, yes. I'll, I, I, I'm going to have to definitely look into postage for Australia, right? <laughs> so anyone that wants to buy any of the stuff on the website, on the, on the online store, email us first. Yep. And we'll work it out because I know you mentioned to me a while back you wanted a hat and uh, I haven't gotten around to looking into the postage to Australia. Uh, but there's no point in buying a, a $30 hat and then spending $75 to receive it. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I haven't done it, but um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but the, it's quite good. Yeah, you've got one on there now. What's what's the hat you've got on there now? It's the uh... Uh, So this was an idea I had about a year ago, uh, Ross, where I wanted to have velcro patches so a, a series of patches you could buy a hat and maybe have two or three different shields that you you would put on your hat and so this is a it's like the rubber kind of pvc the pyongyang club champion and it's a, <laughs> it's a caricature of um kim jong un and so you can swap that out. You you get another. You can get the other patch and, so you can and put put the club champion of. There you go. You know that? So yeah, you could have that. You could have the American flag. I, I, by this time next year, I'd like to have about fifteen or twenty, so that you could buy three, four hats and then have seven or eight uh, patches. So it's pretty cool. No, it's, it's, good, uh, it's good fun. It's all it's all fun, mm-hmm. and that's and that's a lot about uh, what the glorified donkey and the merchandise that you do. I think as you know yourself, golf is uh, golf is stuffy. In certain areas, and it's uh, sometimes, as I say, we yesterday we talked about etiquette, and sometimes etiquette is the it's, it's, it's a good thing to have, but it's also sometimes gets in the way. Uh, it can be the worst thing. And how are we really like the commentary as well? Like you think about the golf commentary; it's all very stagnant. It's all very proper. And uh, my big worry going forward for golf is how do you attract people to come and play the game? Um, like I'm. I remember going to local public courses in, in in Scotland going up and it would say no jeans and no football tops. So don't turn up with your Celtic gear, Rangers top. Now, I, I would agree with that, right? There's, there should be some sort of dress code. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with a T-shirt and shorts or, or type thing. Um, oh, oh, look at him. He's not wearing chinos. You know, that. come on. Let's, uh, let's behave ourselves. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's basically glorified donkeys. That's what it, that's what it's all about. It's just trying to educate, entertain, and and bring what we do in the golf course to 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 golfers. Well, everyone should uh, check out the website. Just before we, you know, get back to the and finish on the glorified donkey and talking about uh, the real life caddy podcast. You've got a couple of great stories from your time caddying on on the tour, uh, which I think. Um, yeah, we should we should at least tell everyone, you know, because it sort of involves you getting getting a, the the KB again. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, there's a there's, uh, I'll, I'll try and run through these two or three things, right? So, I, I once carried for I used to carry for a guy called Andrew Coltart, right? He does Sky Sports now. Uh, uh, what, his claim to fame: he won two European Tour events. He lost the one match he played in uh, the, the Ryder Cup uh, at Brookline to Phil Mickelson, and 
he uh, he was married to or his his daughter, his sister was married to Lee Westwood. So we used to play a lot of practice rounds with him. I carried for him and we had an agreement. He was he lost his card, but I remember having four weeks with him. And on the Tuesday of the first week, I got a phone call from my buddy who carried for a guy whose management company was IMG, biggest you know sport company. Um, and there was a young guy called Reese Davies, a Welsh kid. So this is going back 12, 12 years. And he got an invite to play in the Spanish Open the following week. And my mate said, listen, his agent asked me, is there someone of a similar age that I could recommend? And he said, so can you do it? I said, no, I can't. I'd love to, but I can't. I've committed to four weeks with, with Andrew. And at the end of that, on the Friday, we missed the cut. Uh, there was a, a slight issue where I hadn't packed his rain jacket, his his cagoule, uh, and we were in Madeira, which is a tiny little island, a little Antic. It was we played early, late, super cold on the Friday. We're going to miss another cut. Uh, he wanted his jacket. Turned out that the two jackets I thought that he had in his bag on the Wednesday and taking one out was actually the uh, the trousers and the jacket and I dumped the jacket. So uh, he promptly sacked me as soon as we got off the course. Uh, the following week, both he and Reese Davis finished second. So that was a, a tasty payday that I lost out on, on both occasions. So uh, Andrew, a bit of a bell end, but uh, also carry for a wee Australian guy. Um, All right. Wee Terry. Yeah, I met him in the range in a co-sanctioned event in the north of France, and we bartered about how we, you know, you know how much he was going to pay me. Turned out his wife was a psychologist, right? So I couldn't say. So coming from Scotland, the default for good is not bad. You know that, right? Yeah. So if someone says, "Was that a good shot?" You say, "It's not bad." When in actual fact, it's actually very good. Yeah. But we just we just can't bring ourselves to be that positive. <laughs> so. He would hit shots, and I would say that's not bad. He say, "No, you can't. You, you can't say bad. You can't say bad. It's <laughs> it's, it's negative old." I'm like, "Well, you're talking at the time. I'm maybe 27 years old, so I'm trying to get rid of 20 years worth of or 20 more than that of of this is this is what <laughs> no bad. Eh? How I react, how no I bad. talk. I know bad pal. I know I know bad bother. pal exactly. <laughs> so that was tough, but." What was even tougher was this guy wanted me, we're on the range the first day, and he said, right, this is my setup. I line the ball up from behind. I take a practice swing. I go in to address the ball and I hit it. But from when I address the ball to contact, I count 10 beats. And I went, oh, cool, that's good for you. Yeah, very good. He said, so do it. I went, okay, that's fine, yeah. So I'm on the range and he, and he does it. He goes, how many was that? I went, what, you want me to do it on now? I thought he maybe wanted me to do in the golf course. This guy wanted me to count 10 beats every single time he hit a golf shot. Now, professional golfers will practice for six to eight hours on a practice day, hitting balls over and over again. And he wanted me to stand behind him and watch him and count 10 beats. And it was, I'm literally sleeping and he'd go, if he hit a good one, I'd say, oh, it was 10. If he hit a bad one, I'd say, oh, it's like, oh, it's nine. And I ended up working for him in Switzerland which is, is up way up in the mountains. Great tournament up there. Uh, you, only two pints and you're absolutely flying because of the altitude. <laughs> so we missed the cut and we'd agreed, I think, whatever it was, say it's $1,000 or a 1,000 euros. End of it, he gives me $1,000. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. 
because I'm in Switzerland where they use Swiss francs and euros, and I'm going back to Scotland where they use pound sterling. So I'm now going to have to tra- you know trans- uh, change that dollar into one of those currencies, take a massive hit on it. And at the time, the, the dollar was actually weaker than the euro. So it worked out at 10%. So the 1,000 euros that we agreed on turned into he'd actually only really given me direct change 910 now i have to change it It cost me another 60 it was 850 so he he shafted me 150 so i'm trying to call him after that they say hey no 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 this is no good of course doesn't answer my calls seven months later the british open is at turnbury and this wee guy i know he'd qualified well, I'm just in playing golf with my dad and a couple of mates on the Saturday morning. Uh, we're having a couple of pints after a round. And I look across and this golfer has just walked in because he's qualified and he's turned up three weeks early to play a couple of practice rounds. And I see him, I shouted across. I went, wee Terry, how's it? Looked and he recognised me and he could see, he knew. I says, I don't worry about the 150 wee man, okay? Have a great British Open. And I just made him feel even smaller than he actually is. Oh dear. So that was that was quite enjoyable. Um, I'll tell you, the, the best the best story that I've been told that ever happened that involved me was uh, at Pebble about 2006, 2005. And I went out to caddy. I did, I did a four caddy for three guys. It was the last loop of the day in October. Really foggy here in October. It can get really foggy here in October or September. Um Anyway, I go out, I see these guys, I look at the bags, and I see one guy with a set of Wilson Professional Blades, right? They're, they're from about the early 60s, and I had a set grown up. Now, one of them had a two iron, and I thought to myself, I, 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 I was just graduating from, from uni back in Scotland. I thought I was going to be done with America. I never thought I'd carry a golf bag again, right? So I said, I'm going to play some holes with these guys today. So you can imagine, I was a little bit more confident than I even am now. And I just said, boys, right, I'm going to be four caddy for you, but I'm not going to four caddy, just hit it where I had it. So I ended up playing about 12, 13 holes with these guys, which is completely against the rules, let's say. And it was really foggy. So that's, you know, that's why I wasn't four caddying. I'd also, you know, hey, listen, just follow my ball, blah, blah, blah. And... We get across to, I hadn't hit the two iron yet, but we get from 17 and you got to take your driver or you're going to hit off the 18th tee. So we get to 17 and I said, right lads, I've had to watch your scrap all day and I bet you've never hit this two iron as well as I'm about to hit it. Okay. How old is it? It's, you know, 50 years old. But I says, watch this. So I peg it into the ground and the, the, the iconic 18th tee at Pebble Beach, right? It's in the middle of the ocean. And I says, your grandpa, because he told me, I said, where do you get your clubs? He says, oh, I got them from my grandpa. He died. I got his clubs. They really, yeah. And I went, well, I bet your grandpa never hit this turn as well as I'm about to do it. And I said, you certainly haven't because I've seen your game today. And I said, see that straight through the living room window and I'm talking myself up. Brilliant. I'm so great. And I try and swing so hard. And I hit this, I hit the ground about a foot behind the ball. And the clubs that were, as I say, 1963, 1962, they'd never been re-gripped. And I hit it so heavy that the club 
flew out of my hands. It winged like a helicopter about 120 yards into the, the ocean. And the ball went about 50. You know, you imagine that. You've oh, paid dear. for a caddy. Not only is he being playing golf with you and not really doing his job, but he wings your grandfather's two iron into the ocean. I was, I, I, for about five seconds, I went to my knees. I went, oh, I can't believe I've done this. And then he's, he's two mates that were with him. They thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. You know. So what And happened? the boy, he tried to play it off as if he didn't care. I, I get tipped really well. And he said, the one boy, as he was driving away, he says, thank you so much for the best golf story ever. There was a, there was a MasterCard advert at the time, a commercial, where it said, tickets such and such, dinner, yeah. this amount, MasterCard, priceless. And that's what the boy said. He says, oh, round at Pebble Beach, $350, such and such this. He says, punk-ass caddy wings tour into the ocean, priceless. Price. <laughs> uh, absolute gold. So is that two iron, you know, chance of still being there, you know, sunk at the bottom still with all there. the, yes, yeah, those myriad of balls that you see the pictures of at Pebble, you know, decaying it. on the bottom of the ocean floor like an environmental disaster waiting to happen? That's it. It's, it's technically not lost, is it? Yeah, right. There you go. I'm surprised you haven't been down to fish it out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to finish the story. I've I thought that. about it. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of goggles there. Maybe the Australians that were. <laughs> hey, the Aussies would have been back down there, mate. We would have been in there. Uh, shirt oh, sure. off. They'd try and sell it back to you. Kid off back down there. Absolutely. Now, mate, uh, good stories, great stories. The the podcast uh, I love listening to. I love your your, um, your segments, the uh, caddy stories, uh, the donkey awards. Um, um, do a couple of Aussies featured. Oh, no, no, sorry. A couple of... Uh, Baker Finch. Yeah, uh, Australasians uh, fe- featured mm-hmm. in the in the awards there, Frank Nobolo and uh, Ian Baker Finch. But I yep. think they weren't the winners, were they, of that, that award? Well, actually, on the next episode, we will be announcing the winners. We're going to be tying up a few loose ends because we've had a few podcasts where we've been looking for our listeners to email us and, and get their interaction on the on the voting side of things. So that that'll be revealed uh, on, on, on our next our next podcast. So uh, so what award what award is uh, Baker Finch, Frankie Nobolo and David Ferretti up for? They are up for what Nobolo, Ian Baker Finch and uh, Ferretti up for? Broadcaster of the of the year, best commentator, best commentator, or best on course. In all fairness, fair. All three of them are in, in two or three categories. You mentioned something, and and it's a thing that uh, you probably don't play co- pay cognitive attention to when you're listening to it. But as soon as you said it, I thought he does do that a lot. Wedding weddings, talking talking about the players, talking about the players who are getting married and and their great experience that they've just had. He, I remember, and I've met Ian Baker Finch, and I like him. He, yeah, I met him in the CBS television tower at the AT&T in 2008, and also at the Heritage about a month after that. He's a lovely man. He's a really kind, uh, nice, genuinely nice guy. But I can't stand his commentary. It's uh, it's brutal. It's he 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 wants to be everyone's friend and uh, that, that is, there's Justin there, his lovely wife Melinda, and uh, the th- lovely gorgeous three kids, you know. And there's Tommy who's six, and and you go, come on, bro. We d- there's no other sport in the world that does that. Nobody does that, do they? They don't do it in Aussie rules, do they? You know, they don't do it yeah, rugby league. It's cricket. It's absolute torture. No, they don't. But uh, 
oh, you know, it's going to be hard to, to hard press for the Aussies. I think the Aussies love them. They're a massive uh, fan for Ian Baker Finch. I personally like Frank Nobolo. I think Frank Nobolo is a, a, a reasonably uh, handy commentator. Yeah, they, talk, they talk. They talk. good sense. I'd, I'm not sure when you'll put this this episode live. However, uh, whenever it does go live, I, I mentioned to you earlier on on our YouTube channel, right? So that's forward slash glorified donkey on YouTube. We're going to be doing something completely new for the week of the Masters. If it's successful, we will do it every week. But ultimately, there will be a video camera set up in a living room facing a couch. And there'll be two caddies on it at all times, giving their own commentary. So we'll be watching it. So we won't have the golf on it because I'm sure that with with copyright, you can't do that. But you'll be able to mute your own commentary of the the Masters. You'll watch the footage, but you could actually listen to us commentate ourselves, giving the real inside scoop about golf, the statistics, the nonsense. We'll do a load of giveaways uh, do things on Twitter and Instagram, get some surveys going and try and get a lot of interaction going. So that's going to be, we'll start that on the week of the Masters. And then what we'll do is we'll we'll look at, it'll be kind of tough, I guess, for, for, for Australia, um, perhaps because of the time difference. But I believe that you can certainly replay it and it'll be real time. So it'll be, the live stream will be uh, happening as the Masters is happening. Uh, and if that turns out to be really good, I think we might turn it into a regular slot. Well, the Masters will definitely be watched down here. Uh, we know that for a fact. It's one of the biggest few mm-hmm. golf tournaments of the year and people, you know, set their lives by getting up early for the Masters. So, you know, if they Ooh, lovely if they do listen to this and they do want to tune in, um, just stay in touch with the, the glorified donkey. What are you, what are you chances of, uh, of an Australian winning a green jacket in the next 10 years. What do I think about my, what, the chances of an Aussie winning? Yeah. It could happen. It could happen. You know, where's it going to come from? Cameron can't Day. see Jason Day coming through. Can't see Jason Adam, Day. Adam Scott's Adam getting, Stone. you know, he's running out of time. Uh, Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith would probably be the one that I would probably put up there and maybe, you know, there's a couple of other young guys that are on a, on a nice trajectory that maybe in 10 years' time, you know, like, only because I, I, I like, not only because not only because I like him, but you know Lucas Herbert has the potential to be um, quite a good golfer. You know he can he can golf his ball around, and if he can keep his temperament not temperament that's not the right way, but if he can, you know learn his, you know improve his craftsmanship, you know he could be mm-hmm. one of the better golfers from Australia in the next ten years. Um, mm-hmm. Whether he win a Masters, I know he wants to. Um, that's obvious, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Captain Obvious. Yeah. Um, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it it's interesting you say that, though, because we, Neil, and I'm talking to over here, are convinced that, and I'm, I, I kind of feel this myself, we're now seeing an elite. So in rugby union, you used to have maybe, say, five or six teams. Now you really only have two or three, Yeah. right? Yeah. In, in, in Premier League football, it used to be one of six teams that could could probably win the win the championship. Now it's literally one of two, maybe one of three. Yeah. And within golf, the big hitters are starting to move away from everyone else because yeah. 400 is now the, remember the 300 yard drive was yeah. maybe 15, 20 years ago was huge. Now it's 400. And McElroy wants to do what Bryson DeChambeau is doing with the, uh, the so-called allegedly protein shakes. I'm not quite sure it's just protein, by the way. But... 400 yards is is now the, the new 300 and 
you just can't see how you can't see a winner coming out of the group that's not John Ram, yep. Dustin Johnson, Michael Roy, the Shamble, the Bombers. Yeah, um, you just can't and, see it. And that's the thing against you know Cameron that he's not the longest player on tour. You know, he's, exactly, he's, he's one of the straightest, yeah. and you know his short game sometimes lets him down. At the moment, he's struggling with that a little bit, but he seems to be you know reasonably consistent. So, you know, Lucas mm-hmm. Lucas certainly is a bomber. Um, whoever else. Outside of that, yeah, you're, but you're right. The, the 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 cream of those big bombing guys, and you, you know, you look at the that group of young guys that Rocket sort of you know has posters up on his bedroom of, of um, <laughs> you know, Cameron Champ and Morikawa, and you know, the guys coming out of those golf uh, college factories that are just gym balls, you know, really honed, crafted golfers when they come straight out of college. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be going to be interesting. What do you think, Bryson? Do you think he'll win? Uh, do you think he can win? Um, the Masters? Oh, I, th- I think he can, 100%. Yeah. He's so focused on golf. These these guys are making so much money away from golf that the incentive to win, certainly the incentive to practice, has gone. Yep. The, the complacency. We, we all can become complacent. If I work a job five years in a row and I know how much I'm getting paid and it's really good money, I find myself, I, I do sometimes complacent and need... A, a little check every now and then to realise, yes, this guy's actually paying me to for what I'm doing. Well, yes, we're pally, we text each other, but I'm still working for him. And I think that professional golfers make so much money away from the golf course. Like Jordan Spieth last year made over $20 million in advertising revenue, you know, sponsorship. He made a little under $2 million in prize money. Mm. So... I'm not saying that he's not practicing. I just don't know he's good enough that he's ever going to... I think he'll be in a corn ferry too in about five or six years. But you, there's a lot of players that are not... They're, they're, they're not practicing. They're not dedicated to it. And Bryson DeChambeau, he's a lot of things and he's not everyone's favourite. But the guy lives, breathes golf. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah, well, no he, he with all that protein. But well, he, he can, and he's a bomber and he's dedicated to it. I don't think his body can last though. Yeah, and we've had other podcasts with some fitness experts on on that topic, which you know the fitness guy, you know, suggested that there's nothing suggesting that he he can't maintain that weight and that structure and that frame and continue oh, to play good yeah. golf. But you know, he's got to you know look after his body and he's got to understand what the potential sort of risk factors are. And you know, in his opinion, mm-hmm. you know, he seems to be doing that. Time will tell. But but you're right, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if I don't I don't know why, you know, because he just tries things, you know, because he's the mad fake physicist as Rocket calls him, the mad scientist, yeah. whatever you want to say. Um, that he goes this big bulk stage, and then in a year's time that he Changes goes back to lean, hundred just just to do something yeah, different, yeah. just yeah. to see. Well, I, I was lean, I was okay, mm-hmm. I went I went massive fat, fit fat mm-hmm. as I call it, and then now I'm going to go strong and lean. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't build, you know, what I learned from the fitness guy is, you know, you've got to build a bit of weight and a bit of size to build muscle. Yes. You know, so, you know, he potentially can lean all that off and then maintain a lot of that muscle bulk and strength. So we'll yeah. see. Because if you think about Augusta, though, you take the, the par fives there, 13, 15. Well, he's driver nine iron. He's to eat that up. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, his shots gained, it's shots brilliant. gained there, potential for shots gained there is massive. Absolutely. Huge. Huge. Mate, I think uh I think we might wrap it up there. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, listen, thank you very much for having me on. It was, it was wonderful. Mate, it's, it was always, talking to you. it's always great to catch up. And, you know, we've, we've caught up offline a couple of times now. And, you know, I do, mm-hmm. I do look up to, to you as a, one, of the, one of the great content producers, uh, one of the great Scottish content producers too. And, you know, I've got a, a few <laughs> of the – connected with uh, quite a few of the guys. Uh, you're, in, you're interesting because, you know, you're obviously Scottish, which I, which I love, and uh, yeah. but sitting there in the States, which there's not too many that are based in America – producing uh you know great content and then come from scotland so it was only thank you it was only natural that we're gonna gonna connect and be uh be uh podcasting pals yeah for sure i think at some point as well if we can uh, i'll have you on our show as well and uh like i said we'll definitely throw a link onto uh, our website a new one to with uh with your podcast i'd love Um, i'd love to do that and uh please everyone that is listening this far jump over to the glorified donkey look at their youtube Gordon, as you can already tell, loves a character, loves an accent, <laughs> loves, and he's he's got many in the repertoire, and and I'm sure that there's more coming, there's more in the bag, but uh, probably that probably that's why why I, I, I'm so drawn to you, mate, because I love an accent, but I'm just not game enough to to put it into play. But uh, you know, anyway, I will. No one's saying it's any good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, give it a try. Ah, uh, dear, very good, mate. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, and uh, everyone. I'll put all the links in the show notes and you can find Gordon, We Neil, all the guys from the Glorified Donkey and the Real Life Potty, Real Life Caddy podcast. That's and, brilliant. Go, and go and check them out. Well, Ross, thank you very much for having us. And, uh, yeah, all the best to, to the listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, and just keep enjoying your golf. Enjoy the Masters. Beautiful. Hopefully an Aussie wins it. We'll see.